Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Close to one in eight American women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetimes. It is the most prevalent form of cancer among women in the U.S. and the second most deadly. But the major medical screening for the disease, a mammogram, isn't typically conducted on a woman until her 40s. For women under 40, the most effective way to detect breast cancer is self-discovery, reminding young women to check themselves for lumps or other irregularities and encourage them to do so are the goals and mission of the Feel Your Boobies Foundation. Joining me today to discuss breast cancer and a new campaign are Feel Your Boobies founder Lee Hurst. Ms. Hurst, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you. Also joining us today is a breast cancer survivor and a Feel Your Boobies supporter, Michelle Berger. Ms. Berger, welcome to the show. Good morning. And Tom Hollerbach is the president of TFM Advertising. Tom, I see you in the hall every day, but uh, welcome to Smart Talk for the first time. Good to see you again, Scott. Yeah, I have to, for some reason, uh, you're, you're sound, there we go. That sounds a little bit better. By the way, if you have a question or a comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. And a little bit later in the program, last day of the Democratic National Convention, so I encourage you, if you have a question or a comment about uh, breast cancer, about the Feel, Feel Your Boobies uh, Foundation, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Lee Hurst, let's go back before there was a Feel Your Boobies Foundation. You were in your early 30s. Tell me about it. Yeah, I was uh, in my early 30s. I was actually living in New York City at the time. I'm from this area, but um, I traveled around quite a bit for my job and ended up in New York City after grad school. And um, during that time, I was a marathon runner. I was very health conscious, and I noticed a lump in my breast probably, I don't know, I was probably 31. And I didn't think too much about it. I'm you know, don't have a family history, never really thought too much about breast cancer. When I would go to my annual exams, the doctors wouldn't notice it until I pointed it out. And uh, by and large, they said, I don't really think that's anything to worry about. So I didn't worry about it. Um, the doctors actually said, don't worry about it. They said, I don't think that feels like anything to worry about. Okay. Um, and so uh, I was pacified by that. And fast forward to when I decided to move back to this area just to simplify my life and kind of you know, refocus things and maybe back off my career a bit. Um, my annual exam time came up, which was in the spring, and I just mentioned the lump again. And that, for the first time, someone said, I think it might be a good idea just to get a mammogram. It can't hurt. How, bi how big was this uh, lump? Um, well, to feel, it felt very small, so maybe the tip of an eraser on a oh, pencil. So it was that small? Yeah. and um, But I would feel it when I was taking a shower or whatever. It was just something I noticed. And um, so anyway, after the mammogram, which I thought would probably just be, yield nothing, it did show some areas of sus sus suspicion. And so they sent me right away to get an ultrasound, which continued to show some suspicion. So I had a biopsy a few weeks later, and it did confirm that it was breast cancer. So I think the actual size, um, when it was all said and done, was close to two centimeters, which is considered small um, in the staging of breast cancer. But you know, it was a scary process. It was not something I was expecting for sure. When you say scary, I mean, most people, I assume that uh, I, my mother had breast cancer and I know the reactions to it. But uh, what were your thoughts when uh, it was confirmed, your diagnosis was, was confirmed? Well, when I did the biopsy, I remember the breast surgeon saying, I really think this is nothing. I really think it's going to be okay. Um, and I continued to feel that way throughout the process. It was scary, but I just thought, you know, this is... 
the first time I'm going through a test, that's kind of scary, but it's probably going to be okay. Um, and the way I was told I got breast cancer, I actually got a call from the breast surgeon, which is not uncommon. And I remember clicking over from a conference call. Um, I was on a work call and I got the call from the surgeon and she said, I, I'm really surprised to tell you this, but it's breast cancer. And I just remember sitting there being like, my life just changed forever. I, I could, couldn't even really understand or listen to the rest of what she had to say. Um, and I remember sitting there in my office thinking, I'm the only one in the whole world that knows this right now. And the thought of having to go tell my parents or friends or whatever just was like this moment where it was just the scariest feeling. And I felt really sad knowing I was going to have to share such hard news with people that loved me. Cancer, um, for many people, it used to be uh, considered a death sentence. I mean, did a thought go through your mind that this is going to kill me? Absolutely. I mean, you hear cancer, that's the first thing you think about. And it takes an awful long time, really, to process the details, um, to truly understand your prognosis and all of the things that the doctors tell you right away. They don't always make sense until you learn a little bit more about uh, the makeup of your tumor and the staging and all of the things that indicate your life expectancy or your percentage of recurrence and all of that stuff. And mine fortunately turned out to be stage one, uh, very high cure rate. And um, But in the beginning, when you're just hearing cancer, you're thinking, definitely going to have to get my breasts removed. For me, I wasn't married yet. I hadn't had any children. So you're, as a young woman, especially, there's all these other thoughts that go through your head um, about body changes, about uh, fertility issues. Am I ever going to get married? Because what if I'm not even here? Um, loss so of hair. Loss of hair. Everybody always thinks of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, luckily, mine was in the summertime. So it was, you know, it was just nice and cool. But um, but yeah, all those things are very hard to process. And of course, you're most, most concerned with the life or death aspect of the diagnosis. But there's so many other elements that go along with it, especially in the younger population. It's a lot to process all at once. So no family history. You're in your early 30s. As you said, you were very surprised. Even the doctors were surprised. So how were you treated then? What was your treatment? Um, so they suggested a, a lumpectomy, which means the uh, they just did an incision in my breast and removed the lump. Um, they did not feel like a mastectomy was necessary given the size of the lump. Um, so I did have the lumpectomy. Then I did 12 rounds of chemotherapy, um, which I, it may be the same, but at the time, 12 years ago, it was anyone who was premenopausal with uh, the size lump that I had, they suggested doing a short, short round of chemo which is normally only administered when you have it in your lymph nodes or there's indication that it might be somewhere else. I did not have that. So they just suggested it as a preventative measure. Um, so I did 12 weeks of chemo and then seven weeks of daily radiation. So it was about a six month process. And then I did take five years of tamoxifen following all of that. What was that like, the chemo and the radiation? Surprisingly, chemo was not that bad for me. Um, I was very tired. My mouth was very dry. Um, I did get headaches and so forth. I had to really stay de stay hydrated because it can dehydrate you. Um, but I was able to run and I continued working, and I just had to you know take it easy a bit more. But I did not vomit. I did not get sick or um, or anything like that. And so it, it, they have a lot of good anti nausea drugs that they put in with the drip of chemo. Um, so. I think it's important for women to know that when you think about chemo, for me, I thought my life was going to go gray for however long I was going to be on it, and um, it didn't. And I think losing your hair is 
is definitely a big deal um, for women. And whether it's about the vanity aspect of it or not, for me, I didn't care too much about losing it from a vanity perspective, but I knew that I couldn't keep my diagnosis a secret anymore. I knew that when my hair started coming out that I was going to have to talk about it whether I wanted to or not. And I'm very open, so for me, talking about it wasn't a huge issue. But when people see you with no hair, they often think you're going to die. And so you're dealing with your own emotions around worrying about that. And when you see the looks on other people's faces, it it's just it takes a long time to really get confident about where you are and you know your own prognosis. But the loss of hair has a lot of layers of issues with it. So feel your boobies. How did you come up with that concept? Well, it I didn't really come up with the concept. I just made a shirt, honestly, because I would joke around with my friends um, because that's how I found my lump. I wasn't doing a self-exam. I just noticed it. And so they would say, um, and I'm small-breasted, so they would always be like, I can't believe your little boobies got breast cancer. And I'm like, well, if my... If I can get breast cancer, then you definitely can. So, you know, you got to feel your boobies. So everybody would laugh and it would make it more approachable for them to ask me things that they might have been scared to ask me. Like, are you going to die? Did the doctors tell you anything about um, how serious this is? And it just seemed to be a way that that people felt more comfortable talking about it. So I just made a shirt for fun. I had always sketched shirts when I was younger. I would was going to call them Lee shirts if I ever got around to figuring out how to print them and so forth and um, my friend and I sat down and I was like I just want to make a shirt that says feel your boobies let's sketch a couple ideas and just made an iron on logo for the first one actually of the shirt framed at home the very first one and I had my friend wear it out to happy hour or something when we first did it it was literally the iron on one and she got so many comments i mean she could hardly move people were asking her like what does your shirt say and it had a pink <laughs> ribbon on it and everything yeah, it didn't yeah. just say like well, you, you have that that now yeah yeah so no, um, ribbon, it was yeah it was more yeah. like michelle's Michelle yeah um and so i decided to put up a one-page website i had moved around from chicago philly new york for my job so i had friends kind of scattered everywhere and i put a one-page website up um, my background's kind of in web design and stuff and thought I'll just show my friends I'll order a hundred shirts I'll just buy them and and hopefully people will want them and I'll just donate the money and within about a month it went kind of viral like I started getting orders from people I did not know like very quickly it went from like oh that's Julie's friend Anne to like I don't know anybody that lives in Oklahoma like who is that <laughs> you know and so I think we sold ten or fifteen thousand dollars worth of t-shirts within two or three months and I donated the money and it really got me thinking about why why are people paying attention to this? Is it more than that? And so my background's in behavior change and the use of technology to create behavior change. And I started to think about maybe this is a message that's helping younger women be more open to talking about this because it's something I never talked about. And so it, it slowly sort of evolved into the concept of like, this is a mission. This is something that I think could be used to really change the way young women think about breast cancer and make it more approachable and more conversational. So it really started out with just a t-shirt, but over time it evolved into a foundation that um, uses the sensibility of that t-shirt, which is like a peer-to-peer -peer conversation, um, a playful, more approachable way of talking about breast cancer that became the focus of the foundation. 
Yeah, and you you just said uh, you just mentioned that, uh, and this is, I hate to use the term target audience because when we talk to Tom, that's one of the things we will talk about. But you were aiming this mostly at younger women, who probably would never even think about breast cancer, especially if their background was like yours, that had no family history, uh, was you know, under the age of forty. So this is directed at younger people, and the language is designed to do that. Correct. Absolutely. I mean, I am I'm shocked that I never really talked about breast cancer before. I mean, all my friends were runners, we all ate healthy, and I don't think I don't think that conversation ever came up prior to my diagnosis, and I just wondered why. And in looking at it more, I think I personally felt like the messages that were out there, the materials, the design of the materials, they just didn't speak to me. It, I didn't want to put the shower cards up in my um, shower that were the traditional ones that have a much older woman um, sort of outline that might look like your grandmother and so forth. It just wasn't fresh and, and interesting, so I didn't pay attention to it. Um, and so once I started realizing that people were paying attention to it, I thought it could be used as a vehicle to get that younger population, as you say, um, maybe not even realizing they're thinking about it, but they're reacting to a message that inherent in it is a call to action that is a behavior that can actually save your life. I just use the word language. Language is very important to what you do. Uh, I use the, the term self-examination. Uh, it was pointed out to me, you do not use that term uh, because that's not how young women talk. Uh, and But tell me about it. How do, when you are trying to communicate this message to young people, you're not talking about awareness. You're not talking about self-examination, although you may be, but that's not the terminology that a young, that registers with a lot of younger women. Uh, one of the things I hear most frequently when I'm interacting with young women or speaking, especially on college campuses, which I do quite a bit, um, is the concern that they're not doing it correctly. So when they ask about self-breast exams, um, which most people don't know have a most, like, general public probably wouldn't realize that that actually has a medical definition. There is a right and a wrong way to do a self-breast exam, and there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. But the majority of women that find their own lump find it through the course of daily routine by just knowing their body. And you'll hear a story from Michelle later when we talk to her about exactly that. That's my story, too. That's how I found the lump. And so... Uh, we are certainly not against self-breast exams, but when we talk about what we do, uh, we talk about knowing your body. We talk about being aware of how your breasts feel so that people realize it can be much less formal than what a self-breast exam actually means. Um, so we care a lot about language, both from that medical perspective, but also just in the relatable conversational way that we design any of our materials or campaigns, as we'll talk about later. And I think the visual imagery is also very important. It's something that has to be fresh. Um, it can't look like a mint green brochure that you find in a doctor's office. It needs to be something that um, you wouldn't expect to carry a message like about breast cancer. And so we often say it's a, a friendly reminder when you least expect it is kind of one of our guiding principles. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. We're talking with Feel Your Boobies founder Lee Hurst, along with breast cancer survivor and Feel Your Boobies supporter Michelle Berger, and the president of TFM Advertising, Tom Hollerbach. And we're talking about something that's a little bit uh, out of the ordinary from what you uh, hear with uh, normal, as you can tell for the last uh, 20 minutes, uh, normal breast cancer awareness campaigns. one 800 729 
888-538-5832 is our phone number. You can send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. Uh, you also can send a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page. Again, that phone number is 1-800-729-7532. You know, before we go to Michelle, Leah, I'm just curious. Uh, as you said, it started off, feel your boobies started off with a T-shirt, grew from there, became viral. You ever get any uh, pushback on the name of, of, of the organization of, of the foundation? Oh, sure. Yeah, not everybody's a fan of the word boobies for many different reasons. But, you know, regardless of the reaction, I think, especially when someone has a, an adverse reaction to it, they tend to give it more airtime than someone who might <laughs> not be as impacted by it or shocked by it. So I, you know, have learned to not let it really ruffle my feathers too much because I feel like this, the person that says, I think that's terrible. That says feel your boobies. I feel like three more people just found out about what we're trying to do. So, um, you know, you can't make an impact in a an unconventional way if you do everything conventionally. So, you know, it, I have to take the good with the bad. Uh, Michelle Berger, you were and still are, since you're here, friends with Lee. So your story isn't exactly typical, but tell me a little bit about uh, your diagnosis, uh, how you determined that uh, you had breast cancer. Um, I was 39 years old when I found out that I had breast cancer, and I was um, young. I really took my health for granted. Um, I really just thought I was invincible, didn't pay any mind to that at all. And I would see her car around town. I'd see the magnets on the back that would say, feel your boobies. And I had no idea that this message that made me chuckle was actually having an impact on me. So in the mornings, I would be getting the showers, and it literally was making me take action. So I was familiar what my what my normal was. And um, one day, I had grazed you know, I grazed my breast and I felt something different. And um, I went to the doctors and- Excuse me, can I interrupt for just one? When you say you felt something different, what did you feel? It felt like, it was like a hard BB is mm -hmm. what it felt like. Um, so immediately I knew it was different because I was familiar with what my normal was then. Um, so I went to the doctors, and the thing that really takes me back the most is the fact that I went in, I did the standard mammogram, um, and my cancer went right through the mammogram. It didn't pick it up. Really? Mm-mm. No. And because I had felt my own lump then, they gave me a sonogram. So I had stage one invasive ductal carcinoma, and then I also found out that on my right breast that I had DCIS. So what's DCIS? DCIS, if I'm not mistaken, are the precancerous cells. So it meant that it was coming. Okay. Um, so um, it was really uh, difficult to um, kind of wrap my head around all of this, and um, it was really frustrating that it went through the mammograms because they're like, "Oh, don't worry, it'll be nothing." Is, is, that, is that normal? I mean, does that happen often? Well, I mean, I think that's a great testament to the combination of both, right? So there's lumps that are detected by mammogram that you can't feel. For example, her precancerous DCIS cells, she would never be able to feel those. 
Um, but the palpable lumps that you can feel sometimes are not seen on the mammogram. If I remember my story correctly, I believe that the lump itself was not seen on the mammogram, but the calcifications, which are activity around the lump, were there, and they indicated potentially a problem. But it was the, the fact that I felt the lump that took me to get the mammogram, and therefore the calcifications were seen. Um, so it's really important to note that the combination of these two things are important um, because they complement each other quite a bit. And Michelle, you said you had stage one, correct? Mm -hmm. So both of you are stage one because you felt those lumps. Yes. You were familiar with your bodies. Yes. And because you knew something was out of the ordinary. So, I mean, there's a big lesson right there for those out there that, uh, I mean, obviously, breast cancer is not preventable. But if you catch it, it like almost any other kind of cancer, you catch it in the early stages, it uh, can be cured or much more treatable. So what was your treatment, Michelle? Um, I did uh, 12 weeks as well, and I did um, adriamycin and cytoxin. I believe my first go-around was with, with something called taxotere, uh, quite honestly, that was really a horrible experience. Um, I had a grand mal seizure, my very first uh, chemo. That didn't work out, so then we went to the adriamycin and cytoxin. So are you, you cured now? I am cured now. I also did the five years of tamoxifen. Um, I am cured now. I am actually next month an eight-year uh, cancer survivor thanks to the Feel Your Booby campaign. So, as I said, Michelle wasn't typical of uh, the person you're trying to, to reach out to. Who is? Well, Michelle is exactly who we're trying to reach out to. The as difference far as about, age grow, goes and all that. Yes, yeah. but the the difference with Michelle is that I actually see her on an, a regular basis. So I shared my message in a very physical uh, way with her because I would see her. I think uh, the power of social media and the other aspects of our campaign is that they are far reaching and that message can be seen by people that I'll never meet. Um, and so that's what our campaign aims to do is find ways for that message to be carried in a more virtual capacity that allows that conversation to happen in places that you know, like I said, I'll never be. Mm -hmm. So you went to TFM Advertising for a new campaign. And let me uh, disclaimer right here that uh, TFM Advertising, Tom, do we call you a division of WITF, an entity of WITF? An entity of WITF. An entity of WITF. So uh, we do have a relationship. So there's my disclaimer right up there. But Lee, why did you decide to go not just to TFM, but to uh, any advertising agency or uh, you know or communications firm to try to get the message out? Well, so social media has been a very successful avenue for Feel Your Boobies. In fact, I would probably say it was one of the primary things that put us on the map. Um, back in 0809 when Facebook was new. Um, when Facebook was new, there weren't as many um, restrictions on how you can reach your followers. So we reached about 400,000 followers on Facebook and we did our own campaigns internally. Uh, like I said, my background is in, in media for use of behavior change. And so myself and one other woman would work on these campaigns and we would uh, find platforms or things we wanted to use to, to have our own video contest or um, we did a Bubicon.me, which was at the beginning of Obama's first um, election. That uh, a what now? A Bubicon.me. It would piggybacked <laughs> on a different platform. That so we try to use like very pop culture aspects of, yeah. of social media. And at the time, every time we posted anything, we would reach all of our followers because there wasn't a lot of, of restriction on that. Um, 
And so we had a huge following. And as things have changed, um, not only with the foundation operationally, which takes me in lots of different directions to make sure we're sustainable and that we can stay around. So I don't have as much brain space. Plus, I have two little boys now, which take up a lot of brain space. <laughs> but um, I don't have a lot. I don't have as much time to devote to the theoretical or strategic side of how we use media. And so as we started to revamp um, the way we operate to make sure that we are doing things on social the best way we possibly can this year we decided to put out an rfp to for the first time sort of i guess outsource or collaborate in a partnership with an agency that could bring some real uh heavy hitters and brain juices to the table that we would not be able to do on our own and help us execute a more successful strategic social media campaign that we could do without them uh, so you came to the right place by i the think way. so <laughs> all right well before we uh, go to tom and talk about the campaign i want to go to kathleen in lancaster kathleen are you in the car i am in the car uh, good morning us, uh, what are you doing <laughs> i'm literally on my way to get my annual mammogram this morning Woo, awesome. Yeah, good timing. And I wanted to thank your guests for everything they're doing to promote early detection because that's what saved my life 14 years ago. I'm a 14-year survivor. Oh, that's great. Fantastic. Yeah. So, so when, appreciate everything you ladies are doing. When you, say, when you say it saved your life, what happened? Uh, well, my, my um, small growth was picked up on a mammogram. I didn't uh, actually realize there was anything going on there because it was so small. But um, a very uh, astute tech took a good mammogram, and a radiologist uh, read it correctly, and I had a lumpectomy and um, 38 radiation treatments, and I was on uh, tamoxifen and aromasin for a number of years as well. But um, all of my mammograms have been clear since then, and um, it's because of the efforts of the the kinds of uh, guests that you have on your show today that make this sort of thing possible, this kind of outcome possible. Well, Kathleen, I'm glad you called in. Good luck today. Thank you. Hey, thank, thank you so much. Thank you very much. I don't know, kind of ironic that we have someone in the car that's listening great. to this. So that's uh, that's good. All right, I want to turn to Tom Hollerbach now. And uh, Tom is the uh, president of TFM Advertising, as I said, uh, an entity of uh, WITF. Uh, Tom, tell me about the campaign. It's not an awareness campaign. No. It's... I don't know if it is an education campaign. Tell me about the campaign. It's it's a reminder campaign. And reminder it's a, campaign. And, okay. and it's a, also it's a take action campaign, which is very unusual for a nonprofit to do something where people are actually uh, incited to do something. And the Feel Your Boobies campaign is about getting people to actually do something, not just be aware of, of the issue, but to actually take action for themselves so that they can... Um, you know, this very important issue be resolved. So what were you looking to do? I mean, you worked with Lee and Michelle, were you involved in this process? Uh, no, I was okay, not. Okay, I was going to say, because I knew I saw that the, somebody, a breast cancer survivor. A breast cancer survivor is one of our art directors, and she was instrumental in the campaign. Okay, that was uh, Joanna Sarah. Yeah, that's correct. That's right. Uh, yeah, Joanna has actually been on our show before. Uh, she's a cervical cancer survivor as, as well. Um, but so let's talk about the creative process. What were you looking to do? Well, we were partnering with Lee, and we wanted to do something that was very innovative and breakthrough and that would get people's attention. It can't be clinical. It can't be, as Lee indicated, something for people, frankly, over 40. It's got to be for a more youthful audience. It's got to get their attention very quickly, and again, it's got to get them to take action. I have a 20-year-old daughter. You know, She's got to be somebody who you're going to reach out to, and you've got to get her in, in, the, in a snap of a finger. It's not something where you can get her to read a long process of why she should do it and what 
she should do and how she should go about doing it. It's got to get her to just, It's in this day and age, things have to be two seconds or less for people to really get, be aware of it. Mm-hmm. So what you're telling me is you wanted something that was attention-grabbing for that age group. But I also know you used the word edgy. Yes, we did use the word edgy because we do want people to talk about it. And I wouldn't use the word controversial, but I would use the word that it's something that will be shared and discussed. And it's not necessarily something that is just going to be wallpaper. That's the last thing we want. We want it to be something where um, if you see it and it, it causes people to have a reaction. I think provocative is a good word. Provocative is provocative a good word, yeah. In fact, I, on our website today, and we're going to talk about some places where you can go to see a, a lot of the campaign, uh, but on our website, the Smart Talk website today, WITF.org, under Smart Talk, you can see one of uh, the, I don't know if I call it a poster or not, but as a young woman says, stay perky, and talks about uh, you know, taking care of the girls. Now, that was the first one I saw, and I got a smile on my face. It was the first thing I did. I was like, okay, that's not something that you normally see when talking about, well, really, out, out in public. So it is a little bit provocative, uh, a little bit edgy. What kind of research, time did you have to do? Well, we did it with women. We did it with young women to see their reaction to it, and we did a broad range of uh, of images and and messaging with them. And this is what motivated them. And this they did not think was a, a negative whatsoever. They thought it was provocative. They thought it was something that they would share. And again, it goes back. They said it would get, cause them to take action. It would cause them to do something. And that's what we really want to do here. Yeah, at the bottom of that poster that I mentioned, the Stay Perky. It has a question. What's that question? Uh, have you... Are you doing are it? You doing are you doing it? it? Are you doing it? That, and most of the images that you have out there ask a question like that, mm. that, uh, you know, are you doing it? So there is like a, a call to action there that n- just don't look at this and say, oh, that's 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 cute, that's, uh, you know, that's humorous, that's different. It actually has a call to action to encourage uh, women to check themselves. Exactly. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, and it's intentionally sort of like, are you doing it? Like, well, of course you're doing it. Like, everybody's doing it. It's supposed to be like, um, if you are smart and you know what's up, then you would be feeling your boobies. Mm -hmm. All right, let's take a call from Andy in Lancaster. Andy, you're on the air. Hi, thank you. Um, Talking about boobies is a lot easier, that type of breast cancer, than it is to talk about, say, colon cancer or testicle or other kinds of cancer. Now, what you're doing is excellent. There's nothing wrong with feeling your boobies and how you're getting attention. But would, would it be possible in what you're doing to expand it so that, let's say I go, I'm, I'm checking out about the feel your boobies breast cancer, and then along with that would be a link to find out about other cancers and how to test for them. Hmm. So you're kind of combining what you're doing a little bit. Boobies gets to people's attention. You know, and like I say, it's, it's a lot easier to talk about that. Hmm. And then at the same time, you're helping other forms of cancer for awareness, too. Hey, Andy, thank you very much for your call. Lee? Oh, I think it'd be great if we could help all cancers. I mean, if I had, you know, a thousand hours in a day, I would certainly add as much as possible to our website. I think uh, with our mission, we have to be very pinpointed on what we're trying to do to make the highest impact in the audience that we serve. And I think hopefully there's some lessons to be learned in our design and our approach that could be applied to other types of cancer as well. 
being very grassroots, I'm the only uh, staff person for the foundation. Um, unfortunately, even within our own cause, we have a hard time adding more things to the plate. So I think it's a great idea, and I would love to be able to do something like that. Um, you know, there's just the reality of 24-hour days. <laughs> so, Tom, let me get back to uh, the campaign. There was a part of the campaign that, I don't know, I describe it as fun, and I think this is what you were looking for, too. Unexpected boobies. What can people, first of all, what is unexpected boobies, and what can people expect uh, from that? Unexpected boobies are various situations. I want to hear you describe this. <laughs> What's unexpected is hearing him talk about yeah, yeah, it. This, yeah. is, this, this is going to be fun. Okay, now wait Unex a second, Tom. Before you go on here, I, I, I tell Lee, before we went on the air, was Tom having problems saying the word boobies? I, we had to practice it with him. No, over I did not. That's a, I he think couldn't that say we were, without smiling. I know that. <laughs> well, okay, well, that's valid. But <laughs> <laughs> unexpected boobies, there are all kinds of situations where you see things that look like boobies. It could be two melons. It could be two cupcakes. It could be two door knockers. It could be any sorts of things that just remind you of boobies. Okay, and what are you doing with those things? We want to promote that. We want to get people to, to, to take these situations and put it online and and share it with everyone. Yeah, take a picture. Take so a picture. what we want is for people to have it top of mind. So when they see these reminders out in the world that they say, oh my gosh, that kind of looks like two boobies. Then you snap a picture and you go to interact with our campaign through our website, which is uh, has a landing page on our homepage. You can click there, feelyourboobies.com. It'll take you right to the page where you can submit a photo. And then between now and National Feel Your Boobies Week, which is October 14th to the 21st, we'll be sharing images of those that are submitted through all of our followers and people that interact with the campaign. And we can't wait to see what people find. Is there a prize? There is a prize. You get, of course, some Feel Your Boobies swag <laughs> to share with your friends. So there'll be stuff that you ha you get for yourself and five friends. It'll include things like T-shirts, stickers, anything that will help take that reminder and allow you to, to really hand it out to your friends and have some fun with it. We Again, we have uh, the logo, which is uh, looks like two scoops of ice cream. Is that what it is, Tom? Yeah. Yes. Okay, two scoops of ice cream uh, following where the O's are in boobies, and you can see that on our website. And uh, we'll, uh, again, have uh, uh, have instructions on, on how you could do that. But I, I think, as you can tell, and I'm talking to the audience now, as you can tell that uh, what Lee has done, what Tom has done, what Michelle learned from it, is taking a very serious topic and kind of open it up so that people can talk about it not in so it's not in such a clinical way absolutely i mean i you know i'm sarcastic i have a kind of an odd sense of humor it's like the only way i can really talk about it and feel like you know it's a part of my life it's very serious but i i feel like being able to chuckle about something that's very serious is important for many reasons to get people's attention also it's just been cathartic to me to be able to talk about it in that way and it's brought so many wonderful people into my life that have been impacted by it and appreciate the lightheartedness of the message um, they recognize the seriousness of it because they too have been diagnosed perhaps but it just seems like with our age group it's been something that people appreciate sort of the fresh approach you mentioned earlier that uh, you do a lot of speaking on uh, college campuses but uh, you also reach out to colleges mm -hmm. to try to uh, reach the, the young women who are attending those colleges. Talk about that. Well, our primary program um, 
is called our college outreach program. So the money we raise, uh, for example, through the upcoming Bras Across the Bridge event that's coming up on August 27th. What's that? Uh, well, we collect up almost a thousand bras and we string them together in one long bra chain. Um, we It starts on City Island and we parade them center field at the City Islanders Pink Night game. And then in one long line down City Island and across the Walnut Street Bridge where we have a survivor march. Um, and we honor the survivors that have... Wow been there <clears throat> excuse me and then we have a post party at aruga so it's a fundraiser you have to register for the event you get a page where you can raise money towards it but as i was about to say um the money we raise through events like that and otherwise support our college outreach program which allows us to provide free breast health education kits to college health centers nationally and so a college uh health center director will apply for the program we just went through the application process and this year we'll be working with 200 schools nationally and what they get is basically a tabletop display 100 shower cards and 100 stickers and they use those for tabling or whatever activities they do during october primarily for um, breast health programming and the feedback we get well so first of all that's amazing that it's in 200 schools that just makes me feel very proud and happy that this message is there for the young women um, the feedback we get from the participants who uh, give us feedback in our surveys say these materials work better than any materials they've used in the past. And in, oftentimes, the smaller schools especially, they don't have budget to do breast health programming. So this is the first time they've ever even been able to offer anything like that to their students. So the... Uh, the fact that this foundation is able to do that is really wonderful. This year, we're actually expanding that program to work with eight local colleges like Elizabethtown, Lebanon Valley, um, York College, and some others to host a Feel Your Boobies Day on campus where we're working directly with student organizations as opposed to the health center directors to really engage the students in carrying the message on campus. So they're going to be doing bras across campus as both a, an a, an awareness or reminder event on campus and they're going to string bras across their quad or wherever they decide to but the students will also be raising money to help support that program is there a message for young men in this too in what you're trying to do well of course there is i figured it would so be. i mean in all seriousness there are plenty of women whose lumps are found by their partners um and so we've in the past had some an underwear set that says feel my boobies just to try to be cute about it but it really is something that um can be found by your spouse your partner and so um in in relationship to men's involvement in the campaign they certainly can be part of helping make sure a woman is uh, aware of her breasts or their partner um I also think it's important to note that men get breast cancer, too. Right. So right. I think for every 100 cases, there's one man that's diagnosed with breast cancer. So they do have breast tissue. It's not the same as women's. It's much less. But they are they do get lumps, and they do have to get mastectomies and do the same types of treatment that women have. So they can feel their boobies, too. Mm. Or moobies. <laughs> <laughs> boobies. <laughs> so, Tom, the audience that uh, you're trying to reach, what, what media you're going to be using with the campaign? This is very heavily a social media program. Mm -hmm. This is very much where it we want to share. young people that way. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's where they are. That's where it can go viral. That's where people can share. That's where they can contribute and take a picture of, of unexpected boobs. 
movies, and and that's where we can have the most impact. Mm -hmm. So our social media channels primarily are going to be Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And so what you want to do is go follow us on all of those channels, and on all of them, our profile name is Feel Your Boobies, so you can search for us and follow us, like us, do whatever, and you can be a part of the campaign and keep up with all the images that we're sharing. Well, I'm uh, glad that uh, we were able to have you in here this morning. Uh, I, you know, it's a, I hate to say I had a good time having fun about a, a subject that is so serious, but Lee, I see you smiling. That's what you're trying to do with it. I, I love my job, and you know, I've met plenty of women who have actually passed away from the disease. It's hard, it's emotional, it's it's sad. I still get scared when I have to go get my mammogram. I'm so glad to hear the woman who's 14 years out is going to get hers. But without the laughs and the fun and all of the the chuckles that you get about, you know, the odd stories we have and the people we meet, I just think it's it's important. It makes it it makes it feel purposeful and fun all at the same time. Lee Hurst is the founder of Feel Your Boobies Foundation, Michelle Berger, a friend and supporter and also breast cancer survivor, and Tom Hollerbach is the president of TFM Advertising. Thank all three of you for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks, Thank Pat. you. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Welcome back to Smart Talk. The last day of the Democratic National Convention in Philadelphia and Franklin Marshall College political analyst and uh, pollster Dr. G. Terry Madonna is, uh, has been in Philadelphia, was in Cleveland last week for the Republican Convention. Terry, how are you? I am doing fine. By the way, I want to comment on Feel Your Boobies. I, I think that is wonderful, and uh, you did a great job, and I think that's uh, one, an extraordinarily worthwhile uh, organization, and, and God bless them, and I hope uh, they have great success. Well, Terry, I'm sure they, they didn't get to hear that because we're getting ready to walk out of the room, but uh, I'm sure they appreciate that. Terry, thank you very much for that. Uh, all right, let's talk about uh, last night at the convention. A huge night as far as, um, you know, bringing some positive energy and uh, messages for those who uh, may be skeptical or may or may not be about the Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, candidacy right. for president of the United States. What did you get out of last night? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. First of all, I almost thought that it was that given the powerful lineup that they could have spaced it out over uh, over yeah, a Yeah, I think you're days, right. You know yeah. what I mean? The three. And I don't think that, look, here's a dilemma that the the Democrats face. Each party has their own dilemmas, set of dilemmas. Here's what it is. They want to, eight years, President Obama, in a sense, they have to defend a record. They have to defend, in a sense, what the president has been doing. Put it another way, the status quo. At the same time, Secretary Clinton wants what we all refer to as an Obama third term, just as we talked about George Herbert Walker Bush and a third term for Ronald Reagan. The fact of the matter is what problem that creates, Scott, is simply this. Can you be a change agent at the same time you're trying to say that things are so much better after eight years? And that's a relative description, but you, you, you begin, begin to see the dilemma. How can you be part of the establishment but yet be the change agent? And that's what I think they really tried to accomplish yet last evening. The other thing they tried to accomplish was that Secretary Clinton is manifestly well qualified to be president of the United States, given her experiences, her background, 
you know, to counter the narrative about some of the decisions she made, both as senator and as secretary of state, uh, the positions that she took, the actions that she that she took, particularly as secretary of state. So that's a bit of a tight walk. And I think last night the Democrats did it as best as could be done uh, in different ways. Uh, you don't have to agree with Joe Biden, but how can you not like the way the guy presents, the, you know, presents his arguments? Again, you don't have to agree with him, but what a what a person to connect with voters. Amazing. Yeah, I saw uh, a couple posts yesterday on social media. Uh, a couple stories that talked about the Vice President Biden, and the headline said, "What if?" Whether he's actually thinking about uh, whether yeah. whether he decided whether he should have uh, ran for president or not. Well, right. uh, let's talk about each one of them. Uh, last night, the three uh, headliners. Start with President Obama. What did you think of the president's message? Well, the president is is unusually eloquent. I mean, nobody ever said he wasn't capable of giving the big speech. Look. Uh, in, in 2004, he gave the uh, hallmark address, the keynote address at the Democratic Convention, which pushed his career into the into the presidency. You know, when he was a little-known uh, state senator from Illinois, and again, you know, he lit up the uh, platform uh, with his eloquence. Now, again, uh, as an independent here, I say this not, you know, because I support him. I don't candidates it's not my job but no one could have made a better case for what his administration has done and what secretary clinton uh, did when she worked for him and through her career than uh than the president did last night and one of the things that surprised me was the repeated references to trump i mean it was just not once or twice but it was weaved throughout his entire speech and here's something else that's important the country's moving in the wrong direction. Between two-thirds and 70% of the voters now say that. But President Obama's job performance is at the highest level since he took office. It's 50% plus. Think about that for the minute. 50% plus while the voters in our country say the country's moving in the wrong direction. That's a big irony for you. See, the thing is, I have to think about it, though, even though the president's approval ratings are the highest they've been, let's face it, Barack Obama has been a polarizing president, especially with Republicans. Sure. And so my question is, last night, those independent voters and maybe some Republicans that Hillary Clinton is going to need, could Barack Obama win those people over uh, to yeah. get them to vote for Hillary Clinton? I don't think so much. Well, I, I, you know what? I'm going to backtrack here, and let me answer your question this way. The first night of the convention was about unity. The second night at the convention was about uh, to, about the base, they, you know, about their own core supporters, diversity, uh, inclusion, with the various people who came to speak. Last night, it was an effort. You're exactly right an effort to reach beyond the base to independent voters and to some Republicans because of the breadth and the scope of the comments the president made by putting what he did in perspective and comparing it uh, very favorably to Donald Trump. You're exactly right. Uh, I don't. The short answer is we don't know. I mean, we don't know. I'll have a little better answer on our about our state next uh, 
Thursday when we release the poll. Uh, next Thursday, okay. Uh, All right. Yeah, we're going we're going into the field tomorrow, and we're going to stay there for four days. We're going to ask Pennsylvania voters about did you watch the conventions? What did you think about them? We're going to test uh, Trump and and uh, Clinton's. Uh, uh, what do I, how, uh, we're going to test how what voters think about how they could handle certain issues. Mm. So Tim Kaine, the vice presidential candidate for uh, Hillary Clinton, what did you think of his uh, his speech? Uh, he has this sort of all shucks quality about him that you know, just sort of an average guy. Uh, I thought the introduction about himself and his family was good. I it, it got a I almost thought at times a bit awkward. Uh, it seemed a bit awkward to me. Do I think it was a good speech? Yeah, but it certainly wasn't any. And you wouldn't expect that he would be at the level of a Joe Biden or a Barack Obama. It was good. It wasn't uh, spectacular. There was a certain I don't I don't know how to put it. Some nuances in the way he presented it. He didn't feel at point at some point overly comfortable in what he was doing. Although certainly, as I said, it was a good speech. Mm. Terry, we have about two and a half minutes left. So Hillary Clinton accepts the nomination tonight and speaks. I've heard the speech. Of course, we always hear this at conventions that the most important speech of her life. What do you expect her to say tonight? And what does she have to say to win over what may be some skeptical voters? Right. I think she has to convince. Let's start with this. She's an establishment candidate. She has to convince voters that she's capable of change, that she can move the country forward into the future. It doesn't have to be done with, you know, 35 specifics about how she'll take the country, but she has to give a believable performance that she can bring about change in in the badly needed areas of our economy and society that the voters now yearn for a new direction. And here's what gets difficult. She has to do it at the same time she can't move too far beyond President Obama. She has to use the expression, I'm going to build on what the president has done, and then go from being the status, where the status quo is, to the change agent. And, you know, they have great speechwriters these days, as we've seen in the speeches, some of the speeches in Cleveland and in Philadelphia. The other thing is I think she has to come across in some ways as a bit more likable uh, and less aloof. In other words, to get people – people want to like the people they vote for. They want to find them, uh, you know, appealing in that way as we – President Obama does it in a very different way than Joe Biden, but they both do it. And I think that's something else that's very important. She has to do it in a way that makes – she's also going to praise Sanders. She's going to praise his supporters. Because she needs, you know, every part of the Democratic coalition, and she needs to build on that with independent voters. And so I think she's going to go out or out of her way to, to go in that direction as well. Jerry, we only have about 30 seconds left. Uh, okay. In 30 seconds, how would you sum up the two uh, conventions that you've attended in the last two weeks? Well, they were both very different. The one was obviously extraordinarily critical of of, of, of Obama, not so much Obama, but Secretary Clinton, what she has done throughout her her career. It had much more emphasis on the problems the country faces, the fact that the Obama administration created them. The Democratic primary convention was very different. It was much more about the successes of the past eight years. 
I would say if I had to do it in a nutshell, those those are the two defining issues, you know, the way in which the conventions uh, appeal to the American electorate. Mm -hmm. Dr. G. Terry Madonna, Franklin and Marshall College, thanks a lot for the last two weeks, Terry. I'm sure we'll be in touch here soon. My pleasure. Thanks, Scott. I will talk to you tomorrow.